This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in a series right now in the book of Acts. But as I was praying about what God would have us to consider as we move into these weeks of summer, I've been praying about this and Renee and I have been visiting about this, just considering uh, what God is doing at Good News, all the wonderful things, but she and I equally are just so burdened that God move us into a deeper relationship with him. Uh, The praying tonight uh, was just more confirmation. I love to hear you pray. I love to hear saints that are walking with God pray. Uh, Without exception, saints that know how to pray have been through deep water, which helps them pray better, pray in a way that is more meaningful and rich. But as we look at Acts chapter 2, we see again in verse 42 something that's very instructive for us. I've shared this from time to time in the new member class, and I've had this in discussion with with folks that are looking for a church, asking about good news, and I'll, I'll just simply ask the question, what makes a good church? When you ask somebody that, it's interesting the various answers that you get. Because we live in a day, especially here in America, where you ask that question and folks treat the answer like flavors of ice cream. Well, what do you prefer? What do you like? What does something for you, you know? That's not what a good church is. The scripture has to define what a good church is. And I wonder, though, if... It was just these four things in a church if folks would be drawn to that. And I I know the answer is yes, because the Holy Spirit is the one who draws and Christ is the one who builds his church. But the biblical answer to what is a good church is found in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Four signs of a good church. It's not the kids' programs, facilities, if the band is good or not. And I could go, you know, I could go on and on. What, what, what charitable things do they do? And obviously, there are many things that we're called to do as God's people, but when it comes to who we are as an assembly of believers, we are the church, and what strengthens the church is that we give ourselves steadfastly doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. It is that simple, but we've made it very very complicated. Now, for us to be drawn into a deeper relationship with the Lord, 
I want us to focus, and, and by the way, every believer ought to understand this, and those who are the most mature spiritually, they're the ones that understand it the most. When Paul says, I have not arrived, I haven't apprehended, that was one of the most spiritual things that he could say. I've met Christians that think they have arrived. But, but they're not like Christ. All right. And so I'm burdened that we look at this matter of, of praying steadfastly. And again, being a church that is known for our relationship with God because we pray. Now, as we study through this, there will be things that we'll look at that I believe God will use to encourage you. Almost weekly, we come together and we're thanking God for a miracle. Nikki Brown is a miracle. Not too many nights ago, Renee and I were able to sit with the Foltzes at, at dinner. The Foltzes are a miracle. By the way, <laughs> recently... We had to take a portion of a morning service. We got to take a portion to baptize several people. Every one of them's a miracle. All right. But let's, let's take a, a longer look at this. Notice the quote here in your hand. By the way, I'm, I'm getting ahead of it. Did anyone not get the handout? All right, everybody. Ushers, on the ball Michael, you didn't get it. I, I retract my statement. Okay, no. Anybody not get the handout? Okay, all right. Make sure everybody has this. Thank you. All right. So the Lord said when he came back that the love of many will have waxed cold. He said, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? Notice this quote from Andrew Murray. It is one of the terrible marks of the, of the diseased state of Christian life in these days that there are so many who rest content without the distinct experience of answer to prayer. Now I'm going to just stop right there. When's the last time you saw, you prayed and you saw God answer? That's one of the greatest joys of the Christian life. Murray goes on, they pray daily. They ask many things and trust that some of them will be heard, but no little of direct, definite answer to prayer as the rule of daily life. I think sometimes we can get to the point in our lives when we pray God doesn't answer and well, you know, God's will be done. Stop. We're to pray for God's will to be done, but his will is to answer prayer. Ask great things of God. Expect great things from God. Harold Vaughn 
Uh, and this is one of the handouts, one of the pieces we gave you in preparation for the revival uh, that we recently had. But he compares the first century church to the 21st century church. And, and from that handout, I just extracted that which directly deals with prayer. The first century church, for instance, spent 10 days praying in the upper room. The 21st century church spends tens of thousands on events. I wonder if you looked at the average church today, how many of them really have a prayer meeting or schedule prayer. First century church, they looked at the temple as a house of prayer. Their gatherings were places where people prayed. The 21st century church house of activities. First century faith-based prayer that reaches heaven. 21st century request-based prayer. And I think by that he means personal. My, my wants, my needs. Okay, Request-based prayer reaching only the ceiling. The first century church prayed with exclamation points. The church today prays with question marks. First century church walked in the fear of God. 21st century church walks, uh, I'm sorry, walks in the fear of man. First century church, boldness, marked by boldness. For 21st century church, timidity. First century church continued daily from house to house in those things that they did steadfastly. 21st century church attends Sunday morning, if convenient, if my kids don't have a ball game. First century church, and here's your second blank. Again, at the top on the right-hand side, the first one under 21st century church spends tens of thousands on events. And then here's your next blank down to the bottom. First century church, miracles were commonplace. 21st century church, monotony is commonplace. As a pastor, I may have a different perspective, especially living here in the northern part of the south. Okay, how, how did I say it? Is that, is that okay? All right. How many church buildings there are all over the place? But you go by and you wonder what is really happening under that roof. In a lot of places, let's be honest, it's just monotony. It's people going through the motions. That's not what God intends for his church to be. And all through the book of Acts, when they gathered, they expected and saw miracles. What God was doing. So, in fact, what were the early church's preoccupations? Acts 2.42 states that the early church continued steadfastly. That means that they held fast to, they continued, or they persevered in four primary activities. We've already read them. First of all, the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine. They gave themselves to doctrinal instruction. They gave themselves to the teachings, the prophets, the Savior, the apostles. 
which was critical to a church that had just recently grown by 3,000 new converts. That's just chapter 2. Why did they give themselves to doctrine? Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. And those church leaders, and I'm pointing the finger back at me, and our leaders here, needed faith. We've got to be willing to trust God. We've got to be willing to trust God in the face of opposition. We had to have a business meeting recently where we had to deal with some opposition. We need to be on praying ground because we don't know where the devil's going to attack next. And so let me share with you this information tonight so that you can pray. I share it here because this is the praying crowd. And then as I share this, if anybody has a question, please send them to me. Uh, be happy to talk to him about it, but we just learned this week that Ron Reed's family is suing Mark Bailey for being the driver of that bus. It breaks my heart. I'm, I'm not even going to speculate as to why, but I, I can say with full assurance it's not a spiritual decision. Where's it going to go, Pastor? God knows. Am I concerned? I'm always concerned about what the devil's up to. Am I afraid? I know who sits on the throne of heaven. But you need to pray for Mark Bailey and Pam. And so in the midst of that, and, and as we move forward, if you're on the front line and you extend the line, what's the enemy going to do? He's going to shoot at the advance. And so church leaders need faith, but in this, at the same time, why is teaching and doctrine so important? Because new disciples need a foundation. You'll hear us talk often about discipleship and every Christian needs to be winning people to the Lord and helping to disciple them. And by the way, your discipleship can also be a conversation in the church foyer as you meet a new believer and you begin to talk to him. And just in that conversation, you can use God's truth to encourage and edify and help them. But it needs to be based on teaching, not what we think. So the apostles' doctrine. Number two, fellowship. That's the Greek word koinonia. The word means to partner, to share in common interests. Now on a casual, on the casual side, when you sit around a table, you do share in common interests. And that's that's the talk. That's we call that fellowship over coffee or, you know, a meal and, and, and so on. But this goes far beyond that. Their fellowship was cooperating, participating in what God had told the church to do. Those were the things that were common to all, giving themselves steadfastly to things. I don't think there's a single person here tonight when we read Acts 2.42, you I didn't know that. No, no, you knew that was there. 
That's what God has called us to do for his glory. That's what strengthens his church. I love what Robertson says in his word pictures. This partnership involves participation in the blood of Christ. And I'm not going to be able to take time tonight to look up these passages. I'm going to finish his quote, cooperation in the work of the gospel and contribution to those in need. Again, for, for the health of the body of Christ, go back and look up those passages. We're participating in the blood of Christ. We, we sometimes throw these statements around, but think about it. We are blood-bought saints. What unifies us? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, continues to cleanse us from all sins. When I got saved, he sanctified me. He set me apart and he washed me completely clean. But I still have this flesh. I can still sin. What is it that keeps me clean and right? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Cooperation in the work of the gospel. Hardly, I can't think of anything more exciting. And then contributing to the needs of others as we pray and as we give. Number three, breaking of bread. This was the Lord's Supper and other Christ-centered love feasts. In Acts chapter 20, you can look up the text, but they would meet together and this was just their, uh, their habit. They got it from the Lord, but the Lord got it from what he had ordained in Israel for years. What was the Passover? It was a feast. And they remembered deliverance. And the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. They had had a love feast, and now it moves into a commemoration of him. So Jesus took the bread and said, this bread represents my body. He took an extra cup. He added to what was the normal feast, and he said, this cup represents the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. And I, again, I can't wait to get to heaven and ask the disciples, when he said that to, that night, what did you think? New promise in my blood? Your blood? They certainly understood it later. But these were love feasts that were based on their Christ-centered love for each other. And then it led to a commemoration of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why it was so grievous what was happening in Corinth, what the Lord had to correct there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because the breaking of bread had turned into something divisive, sinful, selfish, and the Lord was grieved. So breaking of bread, we continue to do that steadfastly. And I love to hear when you're breaking bread together in each other's homes, but those need to be, again, Christ-centered love feasts. And then four, this is where our emphasis is in this series, the book of Acts Talks about prayer that continues steadfastly in prayers. Write this down. The book of Acts mentions preaching 36 times. It mentions prayer 27 
times. Now we'll see in a little bit that when there was a problem with a group of widows not being cared for in the early church, you'll remember the, the response of the apostles was, it's important that somebody serve tables, but we can't do that. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and the word. What's exciting to me is when they said that, they were also echoing what the entire book of Acts would reveal. Once again, preaching 36 times, prayer 27 times. Do you know how many times speaking in tongues is mentioned in this record of what God was doing in the early church? Five times. Do you know there are whole denominations and one of their main tenets, speaking in tongues. That all by itself is way off base based on what the scripture teaches the early church was and what we should be. And so what was the apostles' precedent then? When the apostles felt that their time in prayer and the word was threatened, Acts 6, 2-4. And again, we looked at that passage in detail uh, not too many weeks ago. But when they felt that that time was threatened, they took time to correct it. And let me, just for our perspective, share a couple quotes. R.A. Torrey said, There is nothing else in which the church of today and the ministry of today, or to be more explicit, you and I have departed more notably and more lamentably from apostolic precedent than in the matter of prayer. I want to be a New Testament church. But for us to be a New Testament church, we have to be theologically sound. But we have to be steadfast in prayer. So what's the church? It's not the calendar. It's you and me and what we do personally in this matter before the Lord. I know we have a praying church, and I thank God for that. But everyone in this church needs to be prayerful, full of prayer. Not just on the scheduled times, but it needs to drive us. When we're standing in the foyer, standing in the parking lot, somebody walks into my office and a request is shared, you know what? Time to pray. It needs to be spontaneous, it needs to be immediate, and it needs to be spirit-led, take as long as he wants us to take because we only advance based on prayer. Tory saw it back in his day. D.M. McKenna, another preacher, said this about Andrew Bonar. Dr. Andrew Bonar used to say that as the king of Syria commanded the captains to fight neither with small nor great, but only with the king of Israel, speaking there of Ahab. So the prince of the power of the air seems to bend all the force of his attack against the spirit of prayer. And he's right. Now let's be honest tonight, and we're going to need to close because our time is up. 
what do you in your flesh find the hardest thing to do? I love reading my Bible. I love spending time at the Lord's table, fellowshipping, serving with other believers. But what is the thing for you that is the hardest to do most steadfastly? <laughs> okay, well, I think we're all on the same page. I'll confess, it's my prayer life. My flesh just doesn't want to believe that every day I need to be on my knees just spending time fellowshipping with God. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I hate that about my flesh because I know it's most wrong in that area. Isn't it amazing in our schedules what we're willing to push aside, put off till later because of what we think is important? A spiritual discipline and a mark of your sanctification ought to be that everything else gets moved because I need to pray. And I'm going to spend as much time praying as God wants me to pray and he can figure out how all the other stuff's going to get done. But I got news for you, when that's your spirit, your attitude, you watch and he'll get all the other stuff done for you. That's why we, we read about those in the past like Martin Luther who would look at his day and what he had to get done and he'd just get up that much earlier and he would pray that much longer because he believed they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They're going to mount up. That God is able to work even through your physical system to give you the strength and the energy to accomplish what you need to if you're doing it in his power. But you'll fail if you do it in your own. And so the Savior's promises, and you can read through these promises on your own. I wish we had more time. Why did the apostles put such an emphasis on steadfast praying? They had watched our Lord's example, and they were willing to proclaim his power, I'm sorry, willing to claim his power thereby. Can I just share with you something that's a mystery to me? My Lord would pray all night and minister all day. Now, how many of you think physically you could do that on a consistent basis? Don't raise your hand. But you know, the spiritual secret, and I remember the day the Lord smacked me with this. Jesus could minister all day because he had prayed all night. Some of you are wondering, I don't think I could do that. No, I agree, you can't, but he can through you. And so this is why, and we give you several things that the Lord taught on prayer, and perhaps we'll pick it up next time. But the Lord was not dangling carrots out in front of disciples as he taught on prayer. This is the heart of God saying, if you will pray, this is how the divine will respond. You pray and watch what 
I'll do. And so go back. I just want to encourage you in your own time. Get on your knees before God and pray through these verses and say, Lord, you said it. It settles it. Help me to pray this way. I'll close with this thought. Notice at the bottom, when the early church prayed, they expected God to answer. Why? Because God said he would answer. The Lord said, you have not called me, but I have called you, and I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. What's the fruit? We're to be fruit bearers in various ways, but here's what he said, John 10, that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. There's the fruit. Whatsoever you ask in my name. Now what does that include? Well, it needs to be worthy of his name, which means we ask according to his will. But when you declare the name of Jesus, I heard it tonight in the praying, in Jesus' name. Somebody's praying with confidence that this is worthy of the Lord for his glory and they're calling on the one who sits at the right hand of the Father who's promised. Folks, he will answer. And where we want to go in this series is to show you from the word of God. This isn't a pep talk. This is a prayer talk. To show you from the word of God that when you pray according to his will and his word, you can expect to get answers. And so let's pray steadfastly, expecting great things from God. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.